It's still the regular season, but effectively, Mississippi State has just entered the tournament trail. Let's talk about it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Network. I'm your host, David Murray, on the Doghouse here on a Friday morning as Mississippi State is getting ready to host a series which, uh, well, let's be blunt, it's simple survival at stake for the Diamond Dogs as they host Florida on Duty Knoll Field this weekend. Yeah, we've uh, finally reached the season of scoreboard watching here in the SEC. I know fans always like to check scores, but once you get down into May, you're watching them for who's losing, who's winning, how does it affect our chances to get this seeding, how does it possibly impact the NCAA tournament bid, or can we even still make a run at the uh, division title? That was a lot of fun last year. It's not nearly so much fun for Mississippi State this time around, Uh, not with the Diamond Dogs starting a three-weekend, nine-game stretch with, yes, simple survival at stake. And, of course, I'm talking about surviving this regular season by securing a berth in the SEC tournament. No, Mississippi State probably can't lock up a spot, even if they somehow sweep visiting Florida, but at 12 wins, you and I can feel much more confident of being in the Hoover House for a single elimination Tuesday, at least. Nor would State be absolutely eliminated from that contention if they managed to drop this series, much less get swept. Now, I'll still say for the moment, <clears throat> excuse me, just forget the math. Should State not come out of the weekend with a series win and at least 11 SEC victories, and one or two teams currently right behind them in the standing score sweeps of their own, one in particular I'll refer to in just a bit, well, you get the idea of where I'm going. That's why Mississippi State folk will be watching, and nervously at that, for scores all weekend long, however the game in front of them plays out. Now, for y'all who are unable to attend in person, uh, Friday night, of course, is on the SEC Network at 7, tomorrow, 6.30 on ESPNU, and 1 o'clock Sunday, computer online only. I guess one advantage, if we can call it that, is if you're not present at the ballgame, you have a lot easier tracking scores around the conference from the home or the office, or your home office at that. As for the Diamond Dogs, they don't even need to look at their own duty no field scoreboard unless it's to recheck balls and strikes. Their business is super serious, and as said, May survival is the weekend theme. For both teams, in fact, because the Gators are just one game back at the Bulldogs and equally unsure of their own postseason play potential. And I had to recheck some old polls uh, just to remind myself. Florida was a top 10 team in all but one of the five rankings back in mid-February. They were a high of number six in three polls. The Bulldogs, by the way, were unanimous top 10 and number three in three polls. Yeah, their stay in the rankings ended March 21. You know, the idea that State, Florida, and Ole Miss all would be unranked by mid-April would have been unthinkable back then. But then again, so with saying that uh, by... The second weekend of May, you're going to see names like Texas State, Santa Barbara, Connecticut, Maryland, in various top 25s. You know, it makes one wonder, are we about to see a 2016-type NCAA tournament, which ultimately left Coastal Carolina lifting the national championship trophy? Oh, and related to that, the Chants also missed out on the tournament entirely the next season. So, yes, it has happened before. There's no need to keep asking us, but you will. Because you just hope, some hope that it's never happened before just so they can say so. They're really that upset about this season. 
and more of us just sit there and say, please don't let state be the first to do this. Well, they can avoid it by taking care of this series. Beat the Gators a couple of games, and you're feeling much better. You'll be going to 11 SEC wins. I'm not about to try to shake out how they would end up with those numbers yet. It's, I mean, face it, when you've got a four-team jam for third place with 12 wins, uh, a whole lot of things need to shake out this weekend. Uh, speaking of which, last night's game when Kentucky was able to get a walk-off double in the 13th inning to defeat Tennessee, yes, I stayed up and watched it. And yes, I I admired the Tennessee team and talent, but boy, some of the ways they uh, try to game the system, like that left fielder waving that this foul ball, foul ball, maybe trying to slow the runner down when the umpire is clearly signaling fair ball, things like that. You know, clever, yes. Sporting-like, yeah, I'll leave that to others to decide. Anyway, last night's game did have a temporary impact on the standings. Not at the top, Tennessee is the only team locked into the SEC tournament already with 19 wins, and they're still safely ahead of 14-win Arkansas for the regular season title. Uh, speaking of the Razor Swine, uh, their hold on the SEC West is not all that firm anymore. Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M are all at 12 wins, and that can change in a whole weekend. Now, what, what really changed in the overall last night was at the bottom end of things. Kentucky's win gives them, again, just for the moment, 12th place, which, of course, is the last berth in Hoover. Now, frankly, we do expect that to change again if Tennessee flexes their muscles these next two games while up the road from here, Ole Miss and Missouri. Missouri, so frustrating. <clears throat> anyway, Ole Miss and Missouri are playing a survival series of their own. Right now, they're tied for last or next to last, however one wants to read it. Not that it matters since whoever finishes in front of those in both those slots is out. Anyway, they're playing up there, and let's be honest, what Bulldog fan did not look at this weekend's schedule and say, uh-oh, Missouri shot their wad last week to beat the Bulldogs. They're going to go down to Oxford, get stomped, and the Rebels are going to make a run and could catch State in the standings. Yeah, it could happen. It certainly could happen. I mean, so back in Bulldog country, that's what we're getting at. What matters is just getting out of this weekend a winner again. Again, I won't grind yet through where two or three wins would leave State in the SEC standings. I will be updating it daily, tonight on the baseball message board after all games are played. Saturday and Sunday, I'll be writing articles for the front page, listing the standings, listing the remaining opponents, and uh, hopefully breaking all the ties. I, I really suspect that right now, like I said, there were four teams tied for third place, and then there were three teams, Mississippi State included, tied for eighth place. That's bound to start shaking out now once you get these games going. But that's the weekend. What about tonight? Because tonight is all that matters. Then you start worrying about tomorrow. So what are the dogs in this matchup? You know, it, once I get to this point of a season, especially in baseball more than any other sport, I generally try to compare only SEC game statistics instead of the overall numbers, uh, with one obvious exception that I'll be naming later. Now, our colleague Mike Nemeth's scouting report gives as good a breakdown on the Gators as you can ask short of sitting in on team meetings. Good job, Mike. But I'll tell us out a couple of comparos here. If this turns into an offensive series, then State starts with advantages in batting average by about, let's see, 42 points. 
slugging, 60 points ahead. Though it's worth noting that both teams have 83 home runs for the full season, and Florida's done it against, admittedly, a tougher schedule. But anyway, they're equal in that regard for the full season. In SEC play only, State and Florida just a couple of long balls apart. Something to be concerned about because you have two teams that can go yard at any point and two pitching staffs which are prone to giving up the big hit in that regard. Uh, On-base percentage, (laughs) believe it or not, State's way ahead in that as well as in run scored, RBI, and more. You get the point. These are SEC game-only statistics, I remember, and Mississippi State leads in every meaningful category offensively except strikeouts, and that's that's the batter striking out, understand. The Gators just don't whiff that much often. And also, Florida leads in steals by a huge margin, but that's that's not really relative because State just doesn't run. So I don't know what that really matters other than the fact that uh, the Gators will run if they get on base, which brings up the key comparison, which ain't on any stat sheet yet. Can Bulldog pitching keep Florida off the paths? Translated, can Brandon Smith, Preston Johnson, and Cade Smith work enough innings with little enough damage allowed on the scoreboard? To me, that is the utter key to this entire series. Uh, No blazing, brilliant insights there. You know that's going to be the story of the rest of the state season. Can the pitching hold up for any length of time at all? Can somebody jump up and give you a totally unexpected great performance or even just a really good performance would be great at this point. Yeah, uh, boy, I'm just thinking about that. I have no doubts State will swing and connect on Gator staff that's almost identical in earn run average and batting average allowed to the Mississippi State staff. Yeah, I was surprised to realize that too, that Florida's had those struggles with their own pitching. And they, again, they play a better schedule, but this is SEC only that I'm talking about, so that's really relatively equal enough. So, Florida will go up there, and they're, they're not going to try for strikeouts. They're next to last in fanning SEC batters, whereas Mississippi State is way up there in the pitching thing. But that's also been true all season. State staff has been able to strike out batters, but they also give up big hits. They, they rarely give up anything cheap when it matters. Somehow, some way, they get ahead, get in a strikeout position, and something gets grooved right down the plate, and the other team just does something with the ball. It's a, like we said but early in the season, we continue to. You know, it's feast or famine for Mississippi State pitching. They look great, and then they don't look good at all. And there's not a whole lot in between. Now, if they can play great tonight, they can certainly frustrate a Florida offense that you know has some liabilities in there. Now, they did win their series in Kentucky, so they may gain a little bit of confidence off that. And they won their midweek game this week while Mississippi State was off. But the other thing about that uh, strikeout statistic I mentioned, that Florida being next to last, guess who's last in pitching strikeouts? Right, Missouri. And that staff was able to frustrate Mississippi State in way too many of those same RBI opportunities that we've seen wasted all season long. All season long. Well... It won't be a long season at all without winning this weekend. I believe I'll wait until Sunday's standings update to list the single elimination matchups for May 24th at the SEC tournament. 
because frankly, by then we'll have a clearer, not final, but clearer idea if the Bulldogs are still in real contention for the 12-team field, or if uh, the dogs are flirting with elimination already. And talk about a story that would cause great pain of heart and even body to write, the idea of the defending national champions not even making their conference tournament field would be a tough one, and I've written some tough stories over the years. Well, let's hope for their sakes, not mine, that the dogs crank it up this weekend and stake a claim to the SEC tournament. Speaking of the weekend, there's a whole lot going on uh, in Bulldog country. I'm sure you've seen some of the announcements on it, but let me run through some of those in case you're making some late plans or you've left yourself open deciding, do I go or not? Um, some of the events going on Friday, and of course you have the fireworks. There'll be a giveaway for the Ring of Honor ceremonies, which are coming up this weekend, and uh, commemorative balls each day with um, uh, the new inductees of this year. Then Saturday will be the induction ceremony itself. Now, the game is at 6.30 Friday. The induction ceremony is at 3 p.m. on the right field Adkerson Plaza, and that's when Frank Montgomery, Pete Young, and Richard Lee, I was going chronologically in those guys, they'll be inducted into that ring of honor, and <laughs> they all deserve it, absolutely. The right field gates at the Duty Noble Field will be opened at 2.30, there's no admission required for the Ring of Honor ceremony. You've got to have a ticket to get in the game, which is four hours later. But there's no charge to show up and watch the inductions and hear what Ronald G. Polk himself has to say about the inductees. Also, for those of you who happen to be um, Atlanta Braves fans, you lucky people last year. And no, I'm not a Braves hater. I'm like myself, several of my fellow people in the press corps who have their favorite major league teams. I'm kind of an equal opportunity disliker. But uh, no, the Braves, their world championship trophy is making a tour across the South. And it'll be at Mississippi State on May 7th from 5 to 8 p.m. And fans are invited to take photos with the this trophy and with Mississippi State's National Championship Trophy of last season beside each other out at the entrance of Polk Dement Stadium. Now, of course, you have to have a game ticket to enter and take a photo with both trophies. Um, and you can, um, you, can, you can enjoy that ceremony of seeing two championships there together. you got to love it. And there'll be the Ring of Honor giveaway that night will be Richard Lee, the... Um, Friday was Frank Montgomery and Pete Young. You know, I could spend a whole segment just talking about how good and fun a ball player Pete Young was. And those of us of the generation remember, and whenever I think of all the great Diamond Dog players who never got to Omaha, much less won it, Pete is always at the top of my list. Just because <laughs> Omaha doesn't know what it missed by having Peter not playing third base and waddling over to the mound and throwing late relief. It was just something that those of us fortunate enough to be there in the era will always cherish seeing. Sunday is Mother's Day, first pitch at 1 o'clock. There'll be, um, let's see, this is arts and crafts, thing, the Bullies Kid Zone, and Mother's Day cards that can be created out there. And the flowers will be given away to mothers upon entry on the stadium while supplies last. So a lot going on outside the field, but what really matters, of course, to us is what's happening inside the field. So can the dogs do it? Well, of course they can. Florida's vulnerable. 
Mississippi State hasn't been uh, exactly a bulwark of strength themselves, but when they play well, they can beat anybody left on the schedule, and yes, I include Tennessee in that. When you've got a team with the sluggers they have, you're never out of the game. It's still fascinating that State ranks so highly offensively in so many categories, including runs scored, and yet they're still struggling to finish games off. Part of that is pitching, but part of that, again, is a stat which is never kept in the SEC called timely hitting. It's not even something you can categorize by RASP, as much as the numbers geeks, which I can be at times, get so locked into. Clutch is more defined by just when you deliver, not a raw statistic there. But that's where State's been lacking too often. If when, and when they make it work, you've noticed all you need is just one or two. It could be as early as the first third of the game. It doesn't have to come in the seventh, eighth, ninth innings to be clutch. State needs some of those timely hits from anybody in the order earlier in games to set a tone and to free up the pitching to keep doing their thing. I would far rather the dogs get a lot of these big extra base hits, home runs with men on base, doubles with men on base, wild pitches, bases taken for free, um, errors by the other team. If they if that can be done in the first half of a game, look what it does for the pitching staff the rest of the way. I think it's so much more important for State's offense to stake a tone early and give the pitchers freedom to know they can just pitch, and yes, they're going to get hit, but they're not going to lose the game on one hit in those situations. So... As much as I talk about the, the pitching, the offense really has got to be more consistent, especially to get games going there. You saw flashes of it at Missouri. You certainly saw flashes in the series uh, against Auburn. Ole Miss was a little more dramatic there. They got it done mid-game and late-game to win that series. Just start doing it earlier and give the starting staff a chance to go longer with more freedom, and it's wonderful how a weekend can develop. Um, by the way, Mississippi State is second in the SEC, 83 home runs, as I mentioned, tied with Florida. And Hunter Hines ranks second in the nation among freshmen with 14 bombs. R.J. Yeager leads the team with 16 this season, and 12 of those have been in SEC games. <laughs> you think R.J. rises to the conference occasion? Uh, he had four homers last week and drove in eight of the RBI at Missouri. Now, offensively, State you know, has 74 doubles. They're getting better at it, but I wish they had more two-baggers. You know, I mentioned the 83 home runs. Yes, they are very much still on pace to set the season record, even if they don't make the SEC tournament. And would that not be the utter irony if a team that smashes the record for long balls doesn't even get into the postseason? I don't even want to think about it anymore. Uh, Brad Cumbust has worked his way to the top of the batting average through these 45 games, and Jaeger is leading the team in slugging for S as well as SEC play. And Hunter Hines, mm, is this kid going to rearrange some records of his own as he hangs around for a few seasons? You know, when you stack those guys up together, and I'm not even talking already about Cameron James, Luke Hancock, Logan Tanner, Kellum Clark, you put them in with these guys, you see why it's such a potent order. And uh, by the way, also why it's an order that doesn't run a whole lot. But if you're knocking the ball over the fence, you can jog. Anyway, you just, I'm, not gonna, I'm not saying anything that you don't already understand about this team. Again, it comes back to timing of getting those hits, especially the homers, 
do it with people on base, games change. Solo shots sting, but they don't break games open. This is a weekend when Mississippi State, the offense in particular, needs to come up clutch and do it early and often, take the pressure off the pitching staff, make Florida press, press, press at the plate, beat balls into the ground, and, wow, that sounds a whole lot like the Missouri series, doesn't it? When State got desperate behind and started just beating ground balls instead of going for the yard. If State can flip that script this weekend and take the series from Florida, then when we do our Monday morning overreaction update here in the doghouse, we'll have a much happier story to tell. So that's our update for this Friday. Again, uh, weather looks good for the weekend. Everything should be moving through. And Mississippi State can get these games in. So let's just go show up at the ball yard, or if you can't make it, tune in the game, see what's happening, and keep watching those scoreboards because that's the season it is for the Diamond Dogs, for the Southeastern Conference, and all of college baseball. We'll be talking to you in the doghouse next week. This is your host, David Murray. Thanks for tuning in here on the Believe Network.